0: Um, I hope you're having a good summer so far. It seems like it's going really fast, eh? Like, it seems like it's going to be over again soon. I, I, I was just telling uh, some of our uh, brethren earlier that I was thinking about doing something for June 28th. And I realized, oh, it's already like July 2nd. And I don't know if I missed it. I'm like, oh, it's going by really fast um but anyway i hope that you guys are having a great summer and uh for me i would say you know this is uh, quite uh a significant summer for me and i would say probably my wife too um she's, my wife is michaela she's the one who led us in worship this morning uh but this uh, may 29th we celebrated our seventh year uh wedding marriage anniversary so you know by god's grace <laughs> we thank god oh she's right there hi all right, um, but, you know, by God's grace, uh, we were able to to enjoy our marriage, uh, to persevere through the hard times, to be faithful to one another because the Lord preserves us. And um, and so it was a significant summer for me in that way. And, and also, I don't know if you guys are aware, or maybe you see this in, in your uh, Instagram feeds and all that, but uh, the people are getting married all over now because, you know, COVID is behind us, and so now they just, you know, people are actually doing weddings and all that stuff. Um, but... In any case, you know, I, now that I'm talking about it, I just wanted to kind of I guess share with you my experience of my wedding day. I remember, you know, it was 7 years ago. But to me, I swear, it feels like it was just like last year. (laughs) Um, It feels like it was very recent. I still remember uh, the the details uh, leading towards when my wife was walking down the aisle and then I was about to take her from her dad that moment. Um, But I remembered, uh, so, you know, of course, it being a wedding day, uh, there was a lot of planning, there was a lot of preparation. And, you know, I have to admit, I remembered, I even thought about during those times, I was tempted to, you know, think about, losing weight so I would look good in my suit kind of thing, right? Um, and and all and all of these things, planning the thoughts that are in my mind of oh, how I wanted to look, the venue, the people. And our wedding, we only had about 50 people. It was a very intimate wedding. But you know, and so during you know the time it was about to start, everyone was loud. People were were just you know talking to each other. But then when it started, you know, we, we actually, by God's grace, were able to experience all of these. And we hired a band, and so there was like a violin play the uh, a player, and and there was a trombone player, and it was nice, you know. But but then uh, then the 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 the, the wedding started, the service started, and so you know we had our. Our, our bride's, uh, bridesmaids and the groomsmen started walking in pair by pair together... And, and so people were kind of like just starting to settle down and move to their seats and all that. And then there came the point when it was my wife's turn to enter the room. And for those of us who are married, maybe you've also had the same experience wherein, you know, so I don't know, for me, the way I experienced it was this. It was like people were talking, you know, whispering, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, uh, my wife and her dad starts walking in the room. And as they were walking in, everything became like muted, Everything went quiet, like, you know, it, for me anyway, I know pe- everyone stood up. It was like, you know, it was a, a very, for me, like, a majestical moment, you know. It was, it was such a great moment, and, and really what happened was, you know, it seemed to me, in my perception, everything was muted, and then all of my focus, it seemed like everything else became blurry, and I was just looking at this woman walking down the aisle. That's what I experienced anyway. Um, but then I was seeing my wife walk, and, and I couldn't help it, but it started welling up from within me, and then I started to tear up. And I was th- the thing I was thinking in, in my mind was like, man, God is so gracious. How did I land myself such a person, <laughs> you know? I was thinking to myself, how, how did this all happen? And, and it's, it's been so great that God, that God in his sovereignty allowed all of these events to happen in my life, and then here I am now facing, you know, I'm seeing her approach me, my wife, and, and this will be the Person whom I will be married to and will be spending the rest of my life with, and it was, you know, all of that was going on in my mind. It was, it was awesome. Um, and in any case, uh, that was uh, to me. If you were to ask me, you know, what was in all of history, what do you think is whose wedding was the best? And of course, I would say my wedding first and foremost is the best wedding in the world. The whole experience was just phenomenal. Um, but, you know, if you were to ask me uh, what would be the second best wedding, I would say probably, you know, the royal wedding. Um, <laughs> I would probably, you know, I, 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 we got married, um, yeah, seven years ago. But then around 2018, if you guys remember, there was a royal wedding that happened with Prince Harry and uh, uh, Meghan Merkel. There you go. I almost forgot her name. Um, And for me, this was, uh, you know, again, weddings happening all throughout the summers, but but this wedding was quite significant for me, even though, did you guys watch that wedding at all? Did you guys tune in? And watched the whole four-hour event and ceremony and everything. Okay, cool. I didn't. Um, but uh, but you know, I remembered that was, you know, that was all over my my Facebook feed, social media, all over the news. And I remembered, to me, I thought about it for a bit, and I said, you know, that I thought that was a pretty significant wedding, right? Um, and, and for me, the significant part about that was because Prince Harry, who was of royal blood, from you know, from the royal family. Um, this was kind of a scandalous kind of wedding because uh, a lot of people uh, criticized them because uh, Meghan Merkel was not considered of royal blood, right? And so this was, uh, but for me, that was significant for me because that seemed to me like it was um, like a fairy tale come true, right? Like, you know, if you you think about all the girls in the world, you know, a a lot of the 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 stories that we hear as children, and a lot of the movies that we watch, there sometimes, a lot of the times, there are all of these themes wherein, hey, there is this Prince Charming, and then there is this poor girl on the other side of town. And for some reason, they end up encountering each other, and then the prince falls in love with this with this girl who was not of royal blood, and then they, they get married and they live happily ever after. It, it seems like that kind of uh, uh, fantasy uh, uh, story uh, come true, fairy tale come true. But, uh, and so that was significant for me because I witnessed in my generation that that did happen. Right, uh, of course, I am not at all demeaning Meghan Merkel or uh, looking down on what she's done. She has built for, she built for herself a pretty good career, a successful career as a celebrity in Hollywood, um, wherein uh, yeah, she, she she there were a lot of girls, other women as well that were inspired by her and just how she ended up being where she is now. But in any case, you know, weddings, this is uh, so important. And, and really, for me, that was significant to see that, hey, this was something that a lot of girls all over the world are probably talking about. But then for her, it happened, right? It became a reality for her. Um, but in any case, today, for the scripture that we're going to be reading, um, it's in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 28, all the way to chapter 3, verse 3 and the scripture that we're reading will tackle this topic you know one of the ways we can think about this today we will be talking about the second coming of christ for a little bit and uh, one way that one of the ways that we can think about the second coming of jesus is with this idea of a wedding with a lot of preparation you know uh, thinking about the venue and who's involved and as well as in this second coming of jesus there is the excitement uh, that is in God's people, and so we are today in First John chapter two, verses twenty-eight, to chapter three, verse three, and so I will read the scriptures. It says, "And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness." Has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. May God be blessed in the reading of his word. And, um, and so today, I just, I want to start, I have four thoughts I want to share with you. And I want to start with this thought. First thing, uh, Christians live in light of the return of Christ. Christians live in light of the return of Christ. And as read in the verses, they abide in Christ, as well as they ha- have no need to fear uh, the condemnation that is to come. Um, in chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So the thing is, when Jesus comes for the second time, we know this, he will be the judge he will come as the judge however god's word tells us that those who abide in him by continuing to trust in the gospel message will not have to fear being condemned by christ and so christians live considering the return of christ they recognize that someday someday they're going to face the judge and their life will be evaluated Are you guys aware of that? That our lives, even though we are in Christ, our lives will be evaluated still. And uh, evaluated in what way? Well, um, that is, if you believe in and if you embrace Jesus Christ by faith and repent of your sins, God's Word teaches that eternal life comes only through faith in Christ. And yet, those who believe in Him, who truly believe in Him, on that day will be evaluated as to whether what sort of reward Or what degree of reward you will receive in heaven. So that is a sort of evaluation. It's it's not to condemn, it's not an evaluation of like whether you should be condemned to go to hell or to go to heaven, but the evaluation for those who are in Christ is what sort of reward, or to be more specific, what sort of crown will you receive uh, in glory for all of eternity? Um, And this is actually pretty amazing because what happens is we know that God initiated this relationship with us. And so now that we are in Christ, we know that something happens in the inside of us. And we want to please Him. And so in our lives, we end up doing things that are pleasing to God. And it's crazy because God saves us and initiates this relationship by grace. And then afterwards, as you continue to obey the Lord, He's actually watching and, and he's looking and, and he's counting the things that you're doing and he gives you some sort of an equivalent for a reward for that and even to get the reward is a grace right uh, so he initiated this relationship and then for the things that you do for him because you are in this relationship he also gives the reward like you know that's like a double a double prize right there um, but also all of this is through grace uh, and, and, and so this is what will happen for those who are in Christ. Now, I don't want to go too deep into this, but it's just amazing to think that that's the kind of, you know, what, what we can be expecting uh, for when Jesus returns. And But then on the other hand, for those who are not in Christ, the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, that your name will not be in the book of life. Um, and of course, we... God's word says that everyone whose name is not found in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire along with death and Hades and, and Satan. And, and, and so when Christ returns, for those who are in Christ, they will be rewarded in different degrees. But of course, we say on the other hand, with grace, with truth, and with love, God's word really does teach that for those who are outside of Christ, no evil thing Uh, will escape eternal punishment. And so that's why God's word calls all of us to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus. If ever you are here today and you find yourself like, oh no, I I feel like there's a possibility that I am not in Christ. Well, it's not too late. We thank God that there is hope that is given to us at this time. Today could be the day of your salvation as we repent of your sins, believe in Jesus and what is done for us on the cross, and embrace Him by faith. And so, well, today, really, we're talking about a, a focus on those who are in Christ. And so when He does appear, those who are in Christ can face Him with confidence. So we, we won't be shrinking away in shame and fear when He returns, and the way to make sure that that doesn't happen is this. God's Word shows us today that really the way that that would happen is if you abide in Christ. So abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Him? Well, to abide is actually a term that we don't really use anymore, right? Uh, uh, it's In part of our everyday conversations, we don't really use the word we abide in Him. Um, but really, in the Greek, it's it's talking about this verb, Meaning to stay or to remain. Right? So, in in our verses today, we are being taught, we are being called that uh, we are to remain in Christ. We are to stay in Him. We should not depart from Him. We should stay faithful to Him. Now that you have been called, again, the, the, the premise, the beginning is now that you have been called in Christ, then walk worthy of your calling. Right now, that that Christ has God has initiated this relationship through Christ in your life, then now remain in Jesus, stay faithful to the Lord by His strength, by His grace, with His help. And so, to help us understand, um, John, the writer of this epistle, actually has all other writings wherein he uses this verb to abide. In John chapter 15, verse 4, it, it says. Uh, This is Jesus talking, and it says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Uh, uh, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Uh, Elsewhere, in John chapter 15, verse 16, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, in these verses, John Uh, made this connection regarding abiding and returning and this is one of the concepts that is good for us to know Uh, the thing is when you remain faithful to the truth the truth remains in you right that's the point that that we are being taught there by john as well as through the words of christ when we abide in christ christ abides in us there's a, a concept of remaining and and so We will see throughout the scriptures of the letters of John, for example, that there is this remaining that needs to happen because during his time, there was a critical issue. All right? And what was the issue? The issue was this. There were people who professed and there were people who identified to be with Christ and then when it was time for them to demonstrate their loyalty to Christ, they disappear. Um, as well as there were people who identified with the gospel, but give it some time, and apparently they ended up turning against this gospel. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, really highlights the point. John said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so, this is important for us to know that we must abide in Christ as He abides in us. We must remain in Him. And by His strength, with, by His grace, we, we can do it. We can do, uh, we, can, we can do what God wants us to do. We can obey Him and, 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 and really have this focus and pursuit of uh, remaining and abiding in Jesus. And so, ultimately, uh, we are to trust in the awesome work, uh, the beautiful exchange that happened Um, by God through Christ as revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. We are to trust in the truth, to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As well, we are to watch out. Amen? We are to watch out that you are not misled uh, by trusting another gospel, which is obviously not gospel at all, or another Jesus that is not from the Bible. Um, And so now going back to verse 28, what happens when you abide in Him? Well, again, it says that you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So for those who are in Christ, this is true for you. You won't have to fear that God will condemn you to hell, apart from him forever. But but I just want to point out that as Christians, although we will not have to fear God's condemnation towards us, we still have to have a, a fear in our lives as believers and uh, as believers. And this Fear is the fear of God's chastening, or the fear of God's painful discipline, or the fear of God's rebuke. As Christians, we need to have this kind of fear. Basically, what this is saying is we will live our Christian lives knowing this, that God will have a holy reaction to my unholy conduct. That is good for us to know. Um, as christians that's why that's how god's chastening would come to us in our lives in the old testament you would see this often this phrase god would speak to his people and he would say i am the lord your god and he would say that often and it really is highlighting the fact that god's people answer to him right even if you already are a god's child if you already belong to the people of god you still are accountable to him Uh, for what you do in your life. And so this is, uh, yes, it sounds kind of a negative side, but really this sort of fear is actually a healthy kind of fear. Um, Remember in Philippians chapter uh, 2, verse 12, it says, Work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling. This is for God's people, for those who abide in Him. Um, So the second thing that I want to share with you guys today is, uh, as, as uh, shown to us through these verses, is that uh, Christians marvel at the love of God the Father. Christians marvel at the love of God the Father. Do you marvel at the love of God? I wonder. Um, it says there, chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. In other translations, it actually begins by saying this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. In another translation, it says, See how very much our Father loves us. In another, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Now, uh, maybe some of you are aware, but sometimes we come across these sort of different nuances or different phrases that are being used to explain the same thing in God's Word. And the reason for that is because sometimes the translators uh, of the original text are having a hard time translating it to English, right? If I was to say, hey, guys, you, did you guys check out it outside? It's raining cats and dogs, right? But if I say if it's raining cats and dogs, you guys know what I mean, right? I mean that it's raining really hard. You guys get that, right? But can you imagine if I was to say, oh, if I was to say that in Cantonese, Or if I was to say that in in Tagalog, which is the Filipino language, or maybe in French, it would have a, a different nuance. It would have somewhat of a different meaning, and it won't have the same effect. And so that's why in this part where it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, the translators, they really struggled with explaining how to translate this in English. The best kind of explanation that they could come up with is this. Basically, they're saying... Look at this and carefully take this in. Out of what country? That's basically, you know, that's, what they're, they're, that's kind of like the best that they could come up with. Uh, this love of God, of what country is this from? That's what the best they come up with. In other words, of what nation of, or of what world is this love from? That's what they were trying to say. But it's really hard to see that in the English. See what love? The Father has lavished on us. It really, it's an out-of-country kind of love. This love of the Father for us is unlike anything that has ever been demonstrated on this planet. It's amazing, really. Um, and, and God's people are called to do this, to to have this practice of marveling at the love of God, the Father. This kind of love is so intense and foreign to the human experience that John here in chapter 3 verse 1, if you guys look at your Bibles, he's actually, you know, suddenly having this outburst. That's what's really happening here, right? Because in the, in the beginning, in the previous chapters, he's talking about how to know about God. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, now he's talking about how to know God. Now you get to know Him. You get to to really experience what you know in your head. Now you really get to live it out and have this truth in your mind really flow through your being that it just overflows. And it it touches all the other people around you. And it touches the way you live your life. And it touches all other areas of your life. And, And this is an intense kind of love, and John is talking about that specifically. So here, he is having this astonishment, this uh, amazed kind of attitude about this love that he is talking about. And of course, we know this. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, to it says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so, it is the Father, the love of the Father. It is the Father who orchestrates this eternal decree. If you are saved... If you are in Christ today, it is because of the love of God. He orchestrated this because of His love for us and because of His love for the Son. We know this, that everything that is good is flowing from God the Father into our lives. We know that every good and perfect gift comes, from, comes down from God above. If you were to open your Bibles with me at Romans chapter 8, let's open together. In Romans chapter 8, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Are you guys there with me? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, most of us know this too. It says, and we know. Sorry. It says, and we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Who is doing all of these eternal decree? Who is planning all of this out in your life? And God's word teaches us that it is no other than God the Father. If you belong to Christ, it is God the Father who was standing behind the entire purpose and plan of your salvation. If you've ever experienced a Christian life, you know that in the Christian life we have all ups and downs. We have all joys and sometimes we have suffering as well. But we know that it is God the Father who is ultimately the one who is bringing it all together. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who will do it? It's God the Father. It's, it's, it's God the Father who will do it for us. Who is the faithful one who will complete the work of salvation in your life? Who is the, faith, the faithful one that will sustain you till the very end so that you'll be blameless on that day of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is God the Father. And behind it all is the loving heart and the will of God the Father. You know, even in the, the work of salvation, we know that God imputed the righteousness of Christ because of His passive and His active obedience and His perfect obedience to God. And, and it, all of that deserves a reward, but it is God the Father who imputes that to the sinner, Right? And for those who are sinners, uh, who are depraved, who are wretched, uh, God imputes their sin onto Christ. And so Christ is the one who suffers for the sin of the sinner saved by grace. God, the Father, is the one who does this. And also, God is the one who has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. You know that if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God residing inside of you, that you have the seal of the Spirit of God. Also, it is God the Father who has placed us into the Savior's hand. And of course, there's more. There's so many more uh, verses that can continue on talking about what God the Father has done for us. But here is one. In John chapter 17, verse 24, it says this. This is the time when Jesus was praying in the garden. And he says, he was praying in the garden before he was crucified. He said, Father, I desire that they also They is talking about those who would believe in his name. So he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. But that part there where it says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. I don't know if you guys realize this, but if any of you are in Christ today... It is because God the Father took you and gave you as a gift to Jesus. That's a reality for the life of the Christian. And what did you do? What did we do to deserve this? Other than we know that it is because God the Father loves God the Son. It's because of God's, God the Father's love for Jesus that in His intimate wisdom and in His will, He decided, He chose to pick you and offer you as a gift. To Jesus. This is the life of the Christian. Um, As well as in uh, uh, John. uh, In John chapter 17 verse 23. And this is when Jesus was praying again at the same part. And he says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. I'll read that again. In John 17, 23, Jesus was praying to the Father and he says this. Basically, he's asking the Father to keep God's his, his people. And, and Jesus said, I in them, those who would believe in his name, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So Jesus is asking and praying for unity so that the world may know that God the Father sent Jesus and loved those who believed in Jesus, even as God the Father loves Jesus. Are you guys catching this? The truth is, you know, sometimes we would ask the question, how how much does God love you? Right, and I've heard uh, this example before. Someone would say, oh, this much, and then he died on the cross, you know. Um, But of course, we know there's more. We know, and and of course, you can ask the question, how much does God love you? And of course, for most of us in general, we would say, I know, God loves me so much that he sent his only son to die for me. And that is true too. But even deeper than that is this, how much does God love you? God loves me so much that he loves me as much as he loves Jesus. That is a whole different kind of love. It's a whole different perspective. You know, so many times in the Bible, God the Father would talk to the people, a voice would come from heaven and, and he would say, "You're talking about Jesus, he would say, this is my son whom I loved. I am well pleased with him. Listen to him. Right? And we know that for God so loved the world in all of these verses, but it's really telling us that how, what is this love? How can we marvel at this love of God? Really, how much does God love you? God loves you so much. He loves you so much the way that he loves his son. In, there's there's many other examples of this. You know, in, in the book of Psalms, you would see that the Lord is blessed forever. That's talking about, you know, before eternity pass, and at the end of all time, if there ever is an end of time, but for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity and in perfect love, loving one another in perfectly. Perfectly. They don't need anything else. They are blessed forever. They don't need anything else the three persons in the Trinity do not need anything else or anybody else to be with them, to add anything to them. And yet, right, they, they love each other perfectly. God the Father, perfectly loving God the Son. God the Son, perfectly loving God the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And then now, for those who are in Christ, because you believe and trust in Jesus and repent of your sins, now you are invited to this love. And you get to partake in it. With what? For what did you do? With what did we do to earn it? What did we do to to deserve it? Other than we know that it was by the grace of God that he chose a people for himself. To give as a gift to his son. So this is the love of God for us. I wonder if we ever marvel at the love of God for us in this way. Knowing that, wow, God loves me. Not only did he give me his son, but also he loves me in such a way, in the way that he loves his son. That is crazy. That is out of this world. And unfortunately, uh, our North American society today, you know, when you talk about this sort of love, it kind of goes in one ear and then out the other. Um, But really, this is what God's word teaches us, that as we abide in Christ, we also ought to be marveling in his love. Again, uh, earlier I was talking about wedding, earlier, right? I was talking about wedding season, and I I was talking about this sort of a fairy tale come true about someone who most people would probably say are just like us, right? Uh, You know, we might be able to relate to someone like Meghan Markle and say, in a sense, we're kind of like normal, everyday people. Of course, she has a respectable career and all that, and and good for her, good stuff. Um, But, you know, how much does God love us, right? So, you know, in, in, in the picture of this royal wedding, we see a prince, uh, and, and what happened in real life was that he went to, in a sense, he encountered someone from Hollywood, and then they got married, which is great. But the love of God is different from that. You see, the love of God is this, right? So the love of God, uh, he decided to choose a people for himself to give as a gift to Jesus. Are you guys following me? Amen. Right, But God the Father did not go to Hollywood to find this gift to Jesus, the bride. We know that Jesus is the groom, and the body of Christ is the bride, the church. That's us. But this is amazing because God the Father did not go at length to go to Hollywood or in a prominent, famous place to grab or to find a bride for Jesus. But rather, this is what happened. God the Father went to the graveyard, and he found people like you and me who are dead in sins, dead in transgressions. He found people like you and me who are wretched, who are rebels against the Lord, who would hate God. And that's why the Bible says that even before we know him, you know, he, he chose us. And, and this was the work of God and, and, and this is God the Father's work in the lives of the believers. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses and, and then what God did was he revived you, he breathed life into you. Right? And then he, he awakened, he, he, he deposited his spirit in you and, and you become awake, your, your, your soul, your spirit was quickened. And so now suddenly your eyes are open and now you're born again and now you're adopted into the children of God and you become part of this royal family, the family of God. What do we do? <laughs> what do we deserve that this happened to us other than God the Father loves God the Son and because of his love for Jesus he picked a people for himself to give us a gift for Jesus. We were dead. We were worthless. We were of no good. God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26-28, to it says, God chose the things of the world, things that are considered foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. For those of us in Christ, may we never lose the wonder and amazement for how God has loved us. This is what it means to be called the child of God, and indeed, we are children of God. The third thing I want to share with you is if we are indeed children of God, this is something that is true for you too. Christians know a system of truth and life that is mysterious to the world. Right? It says there, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And, and this is actually referring to the fact that the world, it's not that they don't, they don't know your name, you know, your boss, your employers, your friends at work, they know you, right? They know your names, But this is talking about the world being clueless about your identity in Christ. The world does not know us means the world does not know our values. The world does not know our priorities and our beliefs. In other words, because the world, the system of the world and the people who are dominated by that system does not know Christ, they simply cannot figure us out. You are a mystery to the world if you are in Christ. People will look at your life and, and, and they, would, they would check out what you're doing during the week and what you're doing. You know, for example, on a day like today, they would, you know, why would, for you, people would, would be questioning why. I, I don't get it. I am clueless about this. Why would you go to church On a Sunday morning and, you know, if you've been fighting traffic for almost every day uh, throughout the week and then now you have to fight traffic one more time just to go to Sunday morning service. Or why would you go to church and listen to a man speak to you about something from a book that's like 2,000 years old? Why would you go to church and worship and and sing songs, uh, worship the Lord by singing songs, by listening to God's word, and even by giving a portion of your finances to the work of the Lord. Why would you do that? Uh, if the world were to look at us, they would be confused as to why we would do these things. For those of you who are not yet married, for, for let's say, for example, the young people, the young adults or the youth in this room, they would be, if you are in Christ, the world would be surprised of why is it that you would choose to stay pure until marriage? Why you would not live in with the person whom you will marry? Or for those of us who are married, you know, the world would look at your lives and we will we'll say, "Hey, why go through all the trouble of your conflict in marriage? Why not just get divorced? It's only three hundred dollars. Just pay for divorce and get it over with." But they would see in your life that no, they they would see that oh wow this this couple they are uh, continuing to abide in the word of Christ. They are continuing in in. Showing forgiveness and love towards one another, and they 're not giving up you know in general right and of course, there are many other uh circumstances where in it's a bit more complex, but still people will see that in your life, whether you have uh, just like for the most of us, some of us have made crazy mistakes and have sinned uh, uh, uh a lot but because of the grace of god we know that we can ask for strength so that we can represent him well with our lives and people will people around us the world will try to figure out why why is your life different than ours and and actually i have heard it once said that the day that the world can figure you out is the day that you have become too much like the world Uh, in james chapter 4 verse 6 it says therefore Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so we must, as God's people, renounce the world and serve God only. Um, Some implications that that I can think of that comes right away is, you know, um, uh, reading these verses, we understand that if the world cannot understand us, then really it would be hard. Of course, we say this with grace and truth and with love, but it would be so hard for a believer to marry an unbeliever. And uh, having the privilege of working with youth and young people, I've seen the sort of problems and conflicts that the whole family have to endure because one of the spouse is a believer and the other is not. And they go through the struggle of divided focus, divided value, divided um, priorities in life. Another thing that I can think of is when you think about these um, these verses, some of the implications would be that we would love the unbelievers because of the great love that we have received then we can love others because Christ has forgiven us and loves us. Um, another thing that I can think of is, you know, because of these verses, we know that we, we can actually sacrifice the applause of the world. We will no longer be interested in the world lifting us up, but really, the, the applause that we would be so worried about is the applause of God himself. Another thing that I can think of is because of these verses, the implication would be that when we get together like this, we would treasure and cherish cherish these moments. Because if the world is against us, and if the world does not know us, but here, we are with the people that we know that love us. We are with the people that have the same mind and have the same values. What excites you is what excites me. And, you know, my priorities and my values are the same as yours. And we know that we can work together in fellowship to do something. For the glory of God. So we cherish our moments together. The last thing that I see in, uh, in these verses, number four, is uh, Christians mature towards Christ-likeness. Our hope purifies us. So in verse, chapter 2, verse 29, and chapter 3 of verses 2 to 3, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is is pure. And so this is one of the things that we would see in our lives as people who are in Christ. True children of God will bear the family likeness, both now and at the end. Because of the hope that is in us, we cannot help it, but we desire to live a focused life, a focus towards purity, towards holiness. There, because of Christ, we cannot help it that there is really a desire in our lives to have this increasing righteousness because Christ himself is righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. You know, these verses, at one point, it says that we shall be like him. Right? But, of course, I just, I just want to make a note of that, that. It's not talking about that a one day we will all be gods too because Jesus is God. That's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about that we will be like him. You know, in the sense of this, you know, the friends that you hang out with, Have you guys ever experienced this tendency that the friends that you hang out with you tend to become like them and they who hang out with you tend to become like you that's what it means when it says that we shall be like him and the truth is for the christian we know that we just cherish being with jesus following him and following after his example of purity and as he is pure then as we be with him in his presence then we also experience an increasing growth, a focus, a focused purity. Everything else becomes blurry and really Christ becomes your focus. And again, this is amazing because now you are in this situation in your life because God the Father initiated this relationship and so now you cannot help it but you have this desire that you want to grow in Christ. You want to follow Him in holiness and in purity. And so we know that Uh, the scripture teaches us that to those who will follow Him will become like Him because they would always want to be with Him to follow Him and be in His presence. And as we are aware in His presence, again, we will have this desire for holiness. Now, the truth is we cannot fully see Him now, right? It says, as He will yet appear. We cannot fully see Christ now but the love of God And the purity of Christ and the example of Christ and the presence of Christ in our lives is enough to motivate us. Our hope in Him is enough to purify us and cleanse us from the unrighteousness of the world. His presence in our our lives and the hope that we have in Him is enough to have us excited and stimulated so that we would follow Him in His example. Overall, our knowledge of His righteousness should bring increasing righteousness to our own lives. And so, as God's people, the encouragement for us, right? of course we understand, repent and believe, we get that. But the encouragement for us is that we would live our lives considering that Christ could return at any time. So we ought to abide in Him, remain in His truth. And as you marvel in His love, we can... Learn from that and use that to motivate us so that we would mature into Christ-likeness. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray.